right, so we are in this uh, short little series called We Are the Church. And basically, each fall, I try to just pause and I try to talk about our church a little bit. And so last week, I told you why I love our church. And one of the reasons I love our church is because our church is imperfect. All right? And, and how do I prove it? Well, look around. At each other. Some of you are like, oh, I see some light bulbs out. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we are imperfect, right? We are. And another reason I love our church is because our church is a Jesus church. And, and, and fundamentally, foundationally, I hope this morning when you walked in here that you've been able to have a moment where you were able to be awestruck by Jesus. You've been able to marvel at Jesus and who Jesus is. We are all about Jesus. And, and our whole church, that's what we want to be focused on. We want to point people to Jesus foundationally, fundamentally, everything else, honestly, not everything else, nothing else matters compared to that right and another reason I love our church is because we're a church where life change is happening and I'm all about life change I love seeing when God does stuff in people's lives and begins to change people's lives and when we're open to letting him do work in us even the hard things that are going on in our life can actually turn out to be pretty beautiful things pretty remarkable things pretty amazing things. And so that, those are the reasons I shared last week why I love our church. And, I, and I'm going to continue it, right? If you want to be perfect, man, Mountain View may not be for you. All right. But if you're okay with letting God do some work in that imperfection in you, welcome. Right? Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. And I'm trying to mix all my thoughts together as one. So today what I want to do is really I want to talk about belonging. This week in staff meeting, I said, you know what? I always preach belong, grow, serve. And so I told the pastors when we were meeting, talking about Sunday, that I was going to preach serve, grow, belong. I was going to do it backwards this time. But I said belong probably 50 times. And Pastor Craig says, um, excuse me, it sounds like really you're going to preach about belong. Maybe you should just preach about belong." So I've thought about it all week, and I've decided today that I'm going to preach about belonging. You guys good with that? But more than that, we're going to see an invitation to belong. That's what we're going to see. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. All right, follow along with me as we read these first couple of verses. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, to most of us, when we read these verses, we're not entirely sure everything that's going on here. And so I just want to explain it to you for a second. Nobody living in the Old Testament... Nobody living in the Old Testament would have ever been bold enough to try to enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. All right? They just wouldn't have done it. One, you weren't allowed to do it. Two, you had to be a priest to do it. And the priest could only do it on one day a year anyway. And so the high priest was bold enough to enter the Holy of Holies once a year and then there was this thick veil or there's this thick curtain that hung between the holy place and the most holy place, right? The holy of holies. Like we have holy and then you got the holy of holies, right? And so there's a picture here of a tabernacle back in the Old Testament. And you can see the little building there in the middle, right? Or actually to the left, upper left corner. You have the holy place, which is the larger room. And then you have the holy of holies, and this is where the curtain hung between these two places. There was this curtain that hung there. It was a veil. And literally it served as a barrier between God and people. And so I want you to read this again with me. Looking at that picture, hear what I'm saying. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing is taking some of this Old Testament concept here of the tabernacle and applying it to today. Now here's what I want you to know. Only Jesus could tear the veil open and make the way for us to enter a place where God dwells. All right? And so listen to this all the way back in Mark chapter 15. 
Listen to this. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. Do you remember this? Where is Jesus at? He is on the cross. And he has been crucified on the cross. He is nailed to the cross. He has a thorn of crowns on his head with a sign saying what his judgment is, that he believed he was the king of the Jews. And you remember this moment when all of a sudden Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last breath. And here it is. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this way he breathed his last breath, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. And so here's the truth. The truth is this, that the high priest visited the Holy of Holies once a year, and you and me, because of what Jesus did, we are invited to enter into the presence of God where he dwells every single day. That should excite us. Thank you. I needed at least one. And that was good, all right? No, seriously, this should excite us because this is an invitation and this invitation hinges on our boldness, on our boldness to enter into the presence of God. And the beauty of the invitation is that the invitation rests of the work of Jesus and what he's doing in my life. See, on the day of atonement, the high priest could not enter the holy of holy unless he had the blood from the animal sacrifice. And our entrance into God's presence is not because of man's doing of making human blood. But our ability to enter into the presence of God is because of the blood of Jesus that was and is the final sacrifice. See, this is the now and, and this is the new way. This is the, the, the open way invitation for us to belong. To belong. And I want you to hear something. Because fundamentally and foundationally, what I care most about is that every person who calls Mountain View their church home has a personal growing relationship with Jesus. And that is fundamental and foundational. Nothing else matters to me than that. I think one of the saddest truths about a church is that people can come be a part of a church every single week and do the church thing, but not have a relationship with Jesus. Listen, if that's you, I stand over here at Mountain View in five every week. If you need to know how to have a relationship with Jesus, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it's all about when we say the words, give your life to Christ. I'll explain that to you. I'll let you know what it means because foundationally, fundamentally, that's more important than anything else that we do. And I want you to hear it because this new and this open way to belong, the writers of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrew is telling his readers that Jesus is the new way of living, that he is the new way, and that we come to God through Jesus. Even Jesus, when he was on earth, remember what he said, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus, right? People thought he was crazy. But now the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, this is the reality. Nobody can come into the presence of God except through Jesus. Right? And so who is our high priest? Jesus. Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross and he was being crucified on the cross and he was sacrificed on the cross and his blood was, his blood was shed on the cross, he, he breathed his last breath on the cross. And the veil in the temple was torn top to bottom. 
and the symbolize the new and living way that's open now for anybody who wants to call Jesus their Lord and their Savior. It was open for anybody who would deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Him. It was now open up for anybody, including you and me, to enter into the presence of God every single day. That's what was accomplished on the cross. And so now we have this confidence that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. We have a boldness and we have a courage because of what Jesus has done to to literally enter into the presence of God. And usually the only reason we don't enter into the presence of God is because we don't want God to see everything about us, right? True? I mean, this is the caveat. This is the catch-22. This is the yin and the yang, right? That when I'm in the presence of God, I'm less likely to sin. But then when I'm not in the presence of God, I don't want to go into the presence of God because I don't want Him to see my... I mean, do you catch this? We're crazy humans, aren't we? And yet we have this open invitation to enter into the presence of God every day, any time, and this invitation to belong. And so when I'm reading this text in Hebrews chapter 10, I think there's really three, uh, there's a threefold invitation here. There's a threefold invitation. And I want to walk through that really quick if I can with you. The first one is this, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Look at verse 22. This is what it says. Let us draw near with a true heart. And full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I think that's why I was laughing at the beginning about the rain outside, right? The Lord thought some of you needed a good wash before you came in here today. Right? Thank you, Lord, for the rain. We're going to look at the rain different now. Right? That's why I was in here and you all were out there. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right? But seriously, you can see this. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves spiritually to have community with God. And in the Old Testament, priests had to go through this washing ritual and they had to apply the blood uh, for the Day of Atonement. If you want to know about how crazy that was, just read Leviticus chapter 16, all right? That's That's a tidbit. You can read Leviticus 16 and read all about that. During the regular daily ministry of the priests, they had to wash every single day before they entered the holy place. But the New Testament Christian, we too in a different kind of way, get to wash and pure our heart and clean our conscience because God desires purity. But because the veil was torn, this is available to us every single day. I want to show this to you in 1 John chapter 1. Listen to verse 5. It says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Anybody sin today? All right. Anybody? I'm serious. Anybody sin this week, right? Because maybe today's a little too early. Day just got started. Anybody? Anybody this week? All right. All right. In the last month, at least once. Right. Anybody not raise your hand? Because the truth in us reveals, doesn't it? It reveals. The truth in us reveals. But if we walk in light as He is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, He cleanses us. This blood of His cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins... He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. And you can hear John say, my little children, listen. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And his name is Jesus, the righteous. He is is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And do you hear this? Let us draw near. It's an invitation to draw near. We have zero excuse to draw near. 
even if we feel too bad and too wrong and too shameful and too dirty and too sinful and too whatever else we might feel, all we have to do is confess and He is holy and just and He will purify us from all unrighteousness so that we can, with a pure heart, enter into the presence of God every single day because Jesus on the cross died and was crucified and His blood was shed and the veil was torn, giving us the opportunity to enter into His presence. There you go. And this is not just good news. This is great news for us. And so the second part of the invitation is this. Let us hold fast. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. So let us hold fast. Let us hold fast is what it says. And the readers of Hebrews... They were being tempted to leave the belief in Jesus. And they were tempted to go back to the old way, the Old Testament law, the rituals, the regulations. They were tempted to go back to that. And so the writers of Hebrews are saying, no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on fast. And so the writers, the writer of Hebrews is not saying, hey, hold on to their salvation. Why? Because their salvation is not in security in and of themselves, right? Our salvation is security from Jesus. And so the writer is inviting his readers to hold fast to the confession or to the profession of not faith, but of hope. Of hope. Listen, a lot of people assume right here that this verse is talking about faith, right? Because I stood up at some point or I raised my hand and I said a prayer and I confessed that Jesus is Lord and that He's my King and I'm going to live for Him forever. And that was my moment of faith. And so we read Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 and we assume that these verses are talking about our faith. When in actuality these verses are talking about our hope. Everything points to hope. The word here in the Greek is not faith. The word here is hope. There is hope for those who are with Jesus. There is hope for those who belong to Jesus. And there is hope all over the book of Hebrews. If you were to read it, it's a consistent theme through the entire book. And when a follower of Jesus has their hope fixed on Jesus, and and the follower of Jesus relies on the faithfulness of God, they will not waver. They will not want to go back. They will not look back. They will march forward, and, and we should too. This is what it means, right? I told you, my week stunk. How many of, who else had a terrible week? Anybody? Yeah. All right, maybe not this week, but have you had a bad week this month, at least at some point? Yeah? Yeah. And it's miserable, isn't it? It's not fun. It's not good. So how do we get through it? As a Jesus follower, here's how I get through it. Today stinks. Tomorrow might stink. My whole week can stink. Man, my whole life can stink. And, and, I have an unshakable, immovable, unbreakable hope that nobody, nothing, nothing can take from me. And that hope is real. So what is this talking about? Hold on to that hope. Yes, today may not go the way we thought it should go. This week may not go the way we think it should go. Our life, it might feel like a big dump truck of dung is being dumped on us. I didn't have another analogy. That was live. Oops. All right? And I can still hold on. We can still hold on. You can still hold on to this hope that is solid. It's unshakable. It's unbreakable. It's immovable. Nobody, nobody can mess with it. This is what this verse is saying. Hold on. Life is hard. Relationships? Community? politics. I mean, you you name it. Every aspect of life can be challenging hard, but we can hold on. We can hold fast to this hope that's unshakable, immovable, unbreakable, and it lasts 
through everything. And that's what these verses are saying. So this is what, uh, when we studied the book of Philippians, you remember this over the summer? We got to chapter 3, listen to what Paul writes. He says, not that I've already obtained this or, an, or, or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. Do you hear the hope there? So he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know one of the biggest challenges for any of us when it comes to holding fast to the hope that we have? That hope seems to get a little shaky when I start to look where? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever caught yourself sitting and all of a sudden you dwell on the past and as you're dwelling on the past, everything about you just starts to get... Does that happen to anybody? Yeah. Why? Because we're looking behind us. And so this is what Paul's saying. He says, don't look behind you. Strain toward what is ahead. Who's ahead? Jesus is ahead. Our hope is ahead. This is why we hold on to it. We don't let go of it. It's unwavering. It's unshakable. It's immovable. We can't. We don't have to look at that. We get to look ahead. Here's the third part of the invitation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It's really let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. Look at this. And let us consider how to stir up one another. And we're going to stir each other up to what? To love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, there is so much in these two verses. It's cram-packed, and this is the reality. Community with God must never become selfish. Community with God, once we belong, once we've been invited, once we're in the presence of God, we can't make it all about us and ourselves. And this is what the writer is saying. We must have community with each other. And some of the wavering followers have been abstaining from gathering together with the church community. Now listen, what these verses are not about, these verses are not about church attendance. All right, There's a part of it that's about gathering together and being a part of community and, and church attendance, the way we've identified church. But it's so much more than that. And so maybe you're sitting there and you think, you know what, I'm here every Sunday. Check, 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 check. I'm good to go. No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. You can be here and still be dead. I mean, serious. And this, these verses are talking about that. Community is more than that. And listen, I know right now, out of the gate, some of you are thinking, I don't like people. And I'm with you. Amen. Yes and amen. Now, where there are people, there is mess. And where there are people, you will find imperfection. I know, I'm really confusing. I love this and then I don't love this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you, as soon as I begin to talk about community, there's some limitations. There's some challenges. There's some real, true challenges that happen when we talk about community. When we talk about being together, when we talk about doing life together, when we talk about belonging, when we talk about these things, there, there's some stuff that happens inside of us. And so community, community is essential. It's important. It is important to notice the emphasis is not on, on getting the follower just to church. It's really about contributing once you are in church. And we're not talking money here, all right? Contributions. It's so much more than that. Consistent church attendance encourages others and it provokes others to serve and to do good works. This is something that I think happens often in our church, right? You have a connection and a relationship with somebody and you walk through the doors on a Sunday morning and you're looking for that person, right? You're looking for those people that you have community with. And all of a sudden, they're not there. Do you know what happens to the average person? Maybe not you, but the average person. They begin to notice all sorts of things. Man, Josh's hair is really messy today. And I hate, why did Tom wear that shirt? Who is his wife anyway letting him pick out that shirt? 
And when is this church going to get unstale communion bread and, and less sour juice? <laughs> you all thought it today, see? <clears throat> Why? Why is our presence important? Because our presence provokes in other people good things. Good things. And it's not about what I can get at church. It's about what I can contribute, what I can give. Not about what I can take, but what I can offer. That's what this is talking about. This is what it's all about. This is, this is exactly why we are, are, let us, let us consider one another. Let us. And here's the other part of it, right? You can walk in and your buddies are here and it was the best day ever because there was connection. There was community. There was, there was relational connection that was going on. And all of a sudden, all the things that would normally irritate you fly out the window because the person next to you seems to be fine with the grape juice, so I'm going to be fine with it too. Right? The, my son says, well, why can't we have just a little bit bigger cup? <laughs> Thanks, kid. Doing a real good job as a pastor with my son, okay? Why? Why is this? And we can, we can debate and we can argue historically about how church became church and how churches were. In, but, but listen, this in our understanding of what church is, this is church. Why? Why? Why is it important? Why do we do it? Remember last week I said the word ecclesia really means the assembly, the gathering of God's people, right? That that's really what church is. It's the assembly. Why is the assembly, why is the gathering so important? And this is what I know. The strongest motivation to do this that I know of is because Jesus promised to return a second time. So as I'm studying part of the Greek language here, there is only one other place in the New Testament that is addressing this concept of assembly, this, this concept of community, this concept of, of gathering, and it's on the topic of Jesus' second coming. Look at this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. This is what Paul writes to Thessalonica. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and are being gathered. So there's the same word that you're going to read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. This word gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a, or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, what is the day of the Lord? It's the day when the trumpet blasts and the sky opens, I don't understand how it's all going to be, all right? How he does it, I'm leaving to him to figure out. But one thing I know for sure, he's going to do it. And the trumpet will blast and the sky will open and Jesus will be on this ultimate horse, right? As this ultimate warrior. And he's going to come and he's going to, according to Revelation, he's going to slay the other horsemen that have created havoc on our earth. And what is he going to do? He is going to gather. There will be an assembly. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, why do you not want to neglect meeting together now? Because it is a taste. Just a little taste of the gathering. Of the assembly. When it is done. And so my week stunk and some of your week stunk too. But for me, for me, Sunday was just a few days away. For me, I could deal with Thursday and I could deal with Friday because I knew Sunday was just a couple of days away. And it gives me a little taste, just a little teeny tiny taste the day 
when all the wrongs will be made right. When disease will be taken out. When cancer will be eradicated. When brokenness will be restored. For an hour and 20 minutes, when I gather with you on a Sunday morning, it gives me just a little taste. Notice this. Let us draw near. It's really talking about faith, isn't it? Let us draw near. Let us draw near. That's our faith. That's putting our faith in Him. That's drawing near to Him. And and every time we draw near to Him, you know what God promises? He promises to draw near to us. When, When we go toward the light, the light gets brighter, not darker. This is His promise. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. What was that all about? It was about hope, wasn't it? And let us consider one another. What is that all about? Love. And I love what Paul writes to the church of Corinth. In chapter 13, verse 13, he says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Man, for some that might be a stretch, but do you see it there? Do you see it? Let us draw near is all about the faith. And let us hold fast is all about the hope. And let us consider one another is all about the love. And Paul said, man, these are the three most important faith, hope, and love. That's why this is so important. Now, I want to just try to make it practical for some of us. Now hear me, that this part of what I want to talk about will only talk to some of you, and I get that, all right? But to try to make it applicable for everybody would really create a really long sermon, and this is already a long sermon, all right? Don't shake your head yes and agree. No amens to that. <laughs> but there's this verse, and this verse is really interesting to me. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, or chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How many of you have heard that verse before? Man, isn't that truth? Like sometimes you're out there, you're doing your thing, and you feel like you've got these attacks going on, only to have another attack and another attack and another attack and another attack. And you're thinking, when is this ever going to stop? Right? At times, I think we read the Hebrews text and we think, you know what, I do church. I come to church. Check, 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 check. I got that down, right? But it's so much more than that. Just being together is not the end-all, be-all. It's about what we do together. It's about how we love one another, stir one another up towards good works, how we provoke one another to do good things, how, how we inspire one another to be in the presence of God. And if we have to confess our sins, we should do that with one another so that we can enter in the presence of God without shame and guilt and be pure at heart. Well, meeting together is really the beginning. And I find it interesting because a lot of people really truly do avoid meeting together. Right? I mean, how many of you have ever really, when you think about church, you think, oh. In other words, are there any skeptics in the room when it comes to the topic of church? Honest? Come on, there's got to be a couple. Thank you. Thank you. Right? There just are. And so why is this meeting together so hard? Why do we avoid it? Well, because we get busy, right? And because, frankly, I can be boring sometimes. I, I know that because, because people's health gets poor and, and, and they struggle to be here and they tr- struggle, right? Or family things. And so last fall, a Pew Research Center survey asked Americans why they do or do not regularly go to church or synagogue or a mosque or whatever, right? Or any other kind of house of worship. And the overall overwhelming reason why people do attend one of these is because they want to go so that they can feel closer to God, right? And that's probably why a lot of you come here today. You've actually come here because you want to feel like you are closer to God, right? So some of the reasons that people are not is this. Less than one-third, 28% say they don't go to church because, well, they don't believe. That makes sense. Among self-identified Christians, the predominant reason that non-churchgoers offer for not attending worship service is that they practice their faith in other ways. And so there's a lot of people who think, you know what, I don't need church. 
I don't need church. I mean, seriously, there's great preaching on, on iTunes. And, and there's great worship music on iTunes. You can YouTube great preaching and great music. You really can. So you don't need to come to church for those things because there's great things. There's great books out there, right? You can pick up a, millions and millions of self-help books anywhere you want to go. Go to a bookstore. Say, where's the self-help section? It's huge. It's huge. You can learn how to tie your shoes better. All right? You can learn how to eat one diet only to read the next book and realize that what that one said was totally wrong and now you should be doing this one. And, and, and you can consume your life with, right, trying to just do things to help yourself. But do you, do you hear that? Help your. Do you see where the fundamental problem is, right? And so almost half of the evangelicals in this category, 46%, say that this is a very important reason for not going to church more often. I can do it all by myself, right? I mean, this is sometimes when you have a kid that's like between the ages of two and five, I don't need your help. I can do it by myself, all by myself. So the, mo the next most common reason evangelicals give for not attending church services is that they haven't found a church where they like it, right? One in five evangelicals say they dislike the sermons, which is probably true for them, not true for us. A little more than one in ten say they do not feel welcome at the religious service. I like to tell people that I think Mountain View is a very friendly church. At least that's the experience that we get when we meet new people. They're like, well, I was coming from another church. I was really tired and worn out. And I just wanted to kind of hang out here for a little bit. You all didn't let me. I, and I'm serious, right? I, I tell people, if you're trying to find a place to hide, uh, Mountain View might not be for you. It's just true. It's just what's happened. It's what our culture is. About one in four, 26% cite logistical reasons, right? Having more time, being in poor health, but all these other things. Here's what I want you to hear. John Wesley said it best. Christianity is not a religion for solitude or solitary. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Nothing. We were created for relationships. And if we were created for relationship, why is this church thing so hard? So let's be honest for a minute. Have any of you ever had a moment where you were a part of a church, maybe even this church, and you had a moment where you really needed somebody, you really needed help, and you felt like nobody was there? Yeah. And so it makes it hard then when I'm up here talking about belonging. Honest, if you've been in that situation, you're kind of like, I don't know about what he's saying. See, there's this word. It's called vulnerability. You ever heard this word before? Did you know we actually don't use this word very often? We don't sit back in our prayer time and say, Lord, make me more vulnerable. Stretch me. Pull me. Pull me out of my comfort zone. Widen my comfort zone. I mean, anybody sitting around praying that prayer? There might be a few. Serious? Well, me either. So I get it. I, I get it, right? But, but I don't sit down with our kids and say, you know what? What you need is you need to be a little bit more vulnerable. I don't sit with people in my office and tell them we need to be a little bit more vulnerable. But this is the reality. You know what we need? We need to be a little bit more vulnerable. And we think, you know what? Vulnerability, vulnerability, vulnerability. Here's the reason that we don't like that word because vulnerability makes us think that if I do get connected and I do get engaged and I do find community, then I'll be vulnerable. But in actuality, we're more vulnerable when we are alone and when we are isolated. We have an enemy and our enemy wants to convince us that we don't need anybody else. That we don't need anybody else. We usually don't think of ourselves of being in a position of need. I don't want to be needy. I don't need anybody's help, right? If I'm in a place of need, then I must be broken and I must be weak and I must be a failure. I must be a burden to somebody else. Or I feel shame because I need somebody else and I don't 
I shouldn't need anybody else. I might be taken advantage of, betrayed. There's fear that goes into being a person who has a need. There's pride. There's judgment. People won't get me. People are going to struggle with me. All of these things. But did you hear the verse that I read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's the reality. Being alone is more vulnerable than being in a herd. Check this out. Let me prove it. That zebra is in some trouble now. This is unbelievable. To be seeing this from a balloon is fantastic. Wow. Crazy, crazy zebra. Get out of the water. Phew. Lions, lions coming now from the other side. Oh my goodness. This is the paradise pride. They're killing a zebra live on the balloon. We had no idea this was going to happen. That is a fully grown zebra. These two lionesses have smashed it to the ground. My heart is absolutely pounding. We've just watched a kill live from the balloon. A little extreme, I know, but was the zebra more vulnerable alone? or more vulnerable in a herd. See, the enemy wants us to believe that we're in greater danger with the herd when the enemy is just on the outside of the herd looking for the one who thinks they can do it by themselves who thinks they don't need anybody else. This is why what we do is so important. Now listen, I know that that was an extreme video, and I'm glad I got to share it with you, all right? Here's how we rectify this thing. And I want to just take a couple more minutes, and I want to introduce you to a couple of people. And so if you're going to come up here, why don't you come on up here and have a seat? I believe one of the ways that we curve this whole thing about community and connecting with each other, one of the key ways is we create grow groups, right? We create groups and experiences where you can do life together. Here's one of the things I fundamentally believe. Life change happens better in circles than it does in rows. Does that make sense? And and on a Sunday morning, guess what? You come in here and you sit in and some life change happens in the rows, But the reality is life change happens best in circles. And so one of the things that we've worked on really hard for the last couple of years at Mountain View, and I believe in this wholeheartedly, and I also know that it's not going to draw everybody in, okay? There's other challenges, there's other things, there's work schedules, there's health issues, there's all sorts of things that, that prohibit and eliminate people from being a part of a grow group. And I get that, but here's the deal. I know that some of you, I know this. Some of you, you feel like you want to belong. You feel like you want to engage. But the whole vulnerability thing is the challenge for you. So I want to introduce you just really quick to a few people who are, uh, we grab that microphone, Christian, who are launching some new grow groups this fall, all right? And just real quick, introduce yourself, tell us when your group's going to be meeting, who your group is for, and... um, do a quick dance or something, all right? Um, my name's Christian, and I'm doing a men's group, which is going to meet Tuesday nights at my house at uh, 6.30. Um, there's the youth pastor right there. Uh, I'm Kirby. This is my beautiful wife, Heather. Uh, we're starting our group on Sunday mornings, and here's where it's going to get tough for y'all. Uh, you're going to have to leave second service and come join us in first service because our group is meeting at 1040 uh, here, uh, room 212. And uh, we're looking to connect with some more young married groups, or couples, excuse me. And uh, yeah. Good job. My name is Melissa, and uh, we are having a women's group on Tuesday evening here at church at 7 o'clock. 
<laughs> uh, my name is Zach. This is my wife, Savannah. Uh, we'll be having a uh, group. It's open for anybody. Um, we'll be Wednesdays, 6.15 to 7.30-ish. So if you have kids that go to youth group, you can drop them off at 6, come up, do uh, our grow group, and then be back in time to pick them up and kill two birds with one stone. So we figured we'd use that, that time that we usually just sit around and do nothing to be productive and uh, relational. Very good. So uh, first service, I surprised them with questions. Maybe they've thought about their answers, but now I'm going to change their questions because I want them to get, I want to get like the raw, like, like real reasons. And so Savannah, uh, because Zach's passing it on to you, which was really slick first service, I see he's done it again this service. Uh, what do you sense God has done in your life? Like, what do you sense that he's done in your life as a result of being a part of a group? Um, kind of like the answer to first service, um, <laughs> taking me out of my comfort zone. I am usually the one who, in like a setting like this, I want to come in and sit in the back corner. Um, and I, I love connecting with people, but sometimes it's scary and it's hard when you don't feel like you know anyone or you don't necessarily um, want to get out of that comfort zone. And so it's really given me an opportunity to meet uh, couples and also, you know, anyone within our church um, and get to know them and, and realize that we all have the same stuff. Sometimes it's just in different forms, and sometimes it's in the same form. And when you can learn to connect and learn to help each other, I believe that God uses other people sometimes to speak into our lives. And so Grow Groups has really helped me to, um, to feel him more through those connections and those relationships that we've built. Very good, very good. All right, Melissa, do you remember the first time you joined a Grow Group? Oh, I get the same question. How long ago was it? Um, I think it was probably like maybe 12 or 13 years ago. Okay. And, um, my grandma kind of drug, actually it was my mom and myself to group. Um, so grandmas keep, keep at it. Um, but I was very nervous and I wasn't really sure what I was getting into. But it was a great experience. Um, in fact, I saw the gal who was my leader um, last weekend, and it just brought back all these memories of like where I was at my walk then and where I'm at now. And I was like, wow, that's, that's been a lot of change. So what would you say to somebody who's maybe scared, really nervous to jump into a group? What would you say to them? Um... I would really say just take a chance, uh, see, trust in God, and ask him to lead you on this walk, because he ha you're here already, so that means he has something for you, and I think by being in group community, kind of like Savannah was saying, we get to just do this life together, and I have learned so many things through other people um, and grown in ways I would have never done on my own. And I also get to meet some amazing women. And so it's pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So for you guys, uh, Kirby and Heather, you guys have been a part of groups, whatever. And, and you have how many kids? Four. Four kids, right? It's a third of the children's ministry. A third of the children's <laughs> ministry in the back. All right. And so here, here's the reality. Um, the timing has been one of the biggest struggles to really connect and be able to be engaged. And so you guys said, Sunday morning's our time. Let's do one. And so you've tried some and you, and you long for it. And so you're even going to start one that will fit with your schedule better, hoping it'll help. Why is this so important to you? I liked your answer to last service. Because <laughs> you need those connections. You need to not do life alone. And when you have those times, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you got to be able to call somebody if you have to. And if you don't have anyone to call, you're going to struggle. Very good. That was, that was awesome right on look at that you paid attention twice today didn't you man all right christian why is this important to you um there's a lot of reasons uh just to shake it up from first service uh i'm the youth pastor and so i'm constantly um talking to our students about how important groups are and um and just to to be a part of a community and to deal with the stuff that's going on in your life and walk alongside people with the stuff that's going on in your life and so uh, in the last couple years, I've been really challenged by some different uh, 
people I listen to and at some conferences where they're like, man, are you doing what you're asking people you're leading to do? And um, it's, it's easier to tell people to be in a group than it is to be in a group for all the reasons we talked about. Um, but I know how good they are and how much it helps the life change and helps you experience God and grow when, um, when you actually take that step and join it. Yeah, yeah that's good. We really do. Um, I participate in a couple of small groups, um, one that's here, one that's not here, and they're, they're positive, right? They're great things. They're important for us if we want to really accomplish these these things. So maybe you're not in a group. Maybe you're thinking about being in a group. Maybe maybe you want to know more about a group. These guys are going to sit up here so you can like engrave their face in your head and then find them out in the foyer and ask them questions. If none of these guys look good enough to be a part of, then we have a bunch of other groups also that uh, Pastor Craig would be lo- would love to talk to you about. All right, maybe maybe this first group is really scary and this whole idea. That's why we. Do Rooted twice a year because it's an easy way to integrate and connect with a group and learn how groups go. And it's an onboard ramp so that you can become a part of a group. And so these are the options for us. I hope that you'll consider them. Here's what I want you to know today. The veil's been torn. And we can enter into the presence of God every single day. Man, I want you to know that. And I want you to know that there's a hope When we surrender our lives to Jesus, there is a hope that we can hold on to that is unwavering, unshakable, unbreakable, and it is consistent and it is there for us to hold on to no matter what life might throw our way. And I want you to know that you've been made to give. You've been wired for community. You've been made to contribute. Find a place to do it. Let's pray. Thanks for today, and thank you for the way that you're affecting life change around us. God, what I want to thank you most of all for today is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. To afford me the opportunity and give me the opportunity to come before you whenever I need, whenever I desire, whenever I long to be in your presence, God, I can enter into your presence, and for that today, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving it all. In Jesus' name.